Hello and welcome to a Black Movie Podcast where we celebrate Black culture through its cinema by reviewing and discussing Black light films from a range of different genres and time periods. My name is Andre and today with me is Lauren, James, and Ryan. And we are going to talk about the movie Good Hair, the 2009 movie about the Black hair care industry that I believe Chris Rock made. But before we do that, we're going to do some housekeeping things and start off by shouting out Mike. Mike works behind the scenes. He edits and has helped us out with recording the podcast. Just want to show him some love real quick right off the top, just so that he knows that we really appreciate his help over the last few months getting this thing going. And from there, I just also want to say this particular podcast because we're talking about a documentary here, Good Hair is a documentary. There's going to be a bunch of spoilers in it. So you want to go into this movie completely blind and just knowing that this is a movie about black culture and black hair care, then stop right now. Go watch the movie and come back. It is free with ads on YouTube. You can also rent it on Amazon Prime or buy it on Amazon Prime if you are so inclined. But just want to let you know right now, we're going to be uh, bringing the spoilers throughout this whole thing. And we will not be doing fat checking for this documentary. It's a fun, lighthearted documentary. And also, too, well, all of us are really too busy to kind of do all the fact checking for that <laughs> with our full time jobs. So just as a heads up, we're just going to be talking about the movie. As I said from the beginning, this is a movie about black hair care and how that affects the black community. So I just want to go around and get people's thoughts. I'm going to start off with James because this was a reaction that I really want. I was really looking forward to as soon as I the movie went off. So, James. <laughs> uh, I actually was really liked the majority of this movie. There's like a couple parts that I'm like, why did you focus so much energy on this versus that? But like as a black man who had sisters, but honestly didn't really pay attention to what they had going on uh, i did not realize how much work went into the black woman's hair like i i got it some so like this was sort of enlightening on some of those aspects and in other parts i was like oh yeah this makes complete sense like i completely get it the only thing i really wish they had spent a little bit more time on is like the salon barbershop culture like i think that's a big part of black hair culture that they didn't really touch on too much but otherwise like i thought this movie was pretty interesting and i'm really looking forward to watching it again with my wife uh at some point in the future lauren i'm curious your thoughts as our resident black woman on the podcast i and i feel some kind of way about this particular film like i didn't love the film from a technical standpoint but probably even more strongly, I had a lot of reactions to a lot of it as like a black woman going through this. Some parts of it, I definitely very closely aligned to. Other parts, I felt some kind of way about the perspective that Chris Rock was bringing to the documentary that I didn't fully really agree with. But like, this is one of those films where it's much like a few other ones. So I'm like, yes, I have like a personal stake in this one because I got my hair relaxed for the first time at nine years old. Right. And like that just sort of became a thing. And so actually having an opportunity to see parts of like some black women's experience that isn't often talked about outside of like occasional jokes about hair salons and how much money people spend on weaves. Like 
was really, really compelling. I do feel like the movie didn't do the subject a good enough service. There's so much more context, cultural implications, and different kinds of experiences from different kinds of Black women that were completely ignored throughout the the film that I felt really bad about not seeing those pieces um, brought in here. Brian, what about you? Well, for, I had some of the same reactions you did. There's a very... I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. There's a very like, um, girl dad energy from Chris Rock throughout this movie. It's, it's not, it's, it's basically him saying up front, I didn't really care about this until I had daughters and now I care and it's an important thing. And it's like, it was important before you had daughters. But I, for me, I, I spent a significant portion of my childhood sitting in like the second chair from the front at Williamson's beauty salon on six mile in Detroit. My mom and sister would, and my aunts would get their hair done. It would take so long that I would read through entire books, watch multiple movies, go, go take walks, you know, explore the whole neighborhood, come back. And the time it took for them to get their hair done it is to the point where like our, our hairstylists and barbers were essentially family. They knew all of the family things. They would get you cards for graduation they cut generations and generations of your family's hair. So that kind of connection I didn't see in the movie and wanted to see more of, of like the intense relationship between the people providing black hair care and the members of the community. But I did enjoy some of the candid conversations with, especially the celebs that came on. I was kind of surprised they talked about some of the things they talked about and that uh, Chris got them to open up that way. I will give him credit for that. Yeah, I, I think that because this was made in 2009 and basically right on the verge of the the natural hair boom, it's kind of missing all of what, uh, for, for lack of a, I, this, this pun was unintentional and now I thought about it, so now it is. It's missing the texture um, of the, the current debates over black hair. And I know that that's one area in which I, 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 I wish that there was a lot more discussion of but overall, I thought that, you know, it did a good job of explaining, especially for people who aren't initiated into the chemical wonderland that is a black hair care aisle, just how intense the products that go into making black hair straight actually are. Yeah. And one thing along with that, too, is now that more uh, it seems like over the last 10 years or so, it seems like more men are doing black men are doing crazy things with their hair. And it almost actually doesn't almost it makes me wish that this doc or that a sequel to this doc was made to talk about black men's hair. And also, you know, as you were saying, Ryan, uh, talk about black men's hair and also the uh, push for more natural hair in black culture. But it does central around centralize around this theme of good hair. And so. I'm trying to think, when was the first time I was actually introduced to the idea of good hair? I remember that very clear for me as a kid because I always had sort of really soft, big curls. And so that was a theme in my family because my mom is mixed and my dad is also pretty light skinned. So we, everybody in my family has sort of big curl soft hair and so it was pretty common running theme with people that we knew that like we were lucky to have 
you know, softer, not as coarse hair or what have you. I personally never thought much about it, but I imagine for my mom and sisters, it was probably a much bigger deal than it was for me. I will say, like, I don't remember a time where I ever didn't know that that was such a thing. Partially because my mom has what would be typically termed good hair uh, in the black community, right? Like, she's got very straight, very fine, um, very manageable black hair. It's almost like she has hair like an Asian person, which is completely different from anyone else in our family. And definitely not the hair that my sister and I have. We have very black hair, like traditional black hair that is tightly coiled textured was very nappy that you know it you broke a couple of brushes trying to get through it the reason that we eventually like wore it only ever in two braids was to prevent having to do the hair too often and eventually started relaxing it was to make it my mom's life easier type of hair that said i love my hair like i think the concept of good hair is one i found fascinating for so long because i spent so much of my like youth hating my hair and a lot like the woman in this documentary wishing that I had hair like my white classmates had or like my mom was lucky enough to have and not actually recognizing that I have amazing hair because I do have absolutely amazing hair. I love my hair, frankly. You like do. it's gorgeous. Um, but I didn't realize that for so long. And part of it was because it wasn't being taken care of the way it should have. And like that's really shown to me the difference between like good hair is really what's been hair that's been taken care of and not inherently straight. And part of that's not just amongst black women, like the like last five years in particular, but let's say last five to 10 years has really seen like a huge growth in all women, really like finding new love in their curls. And there's been like a curly hair movement around the world to sort of embrace that sort of style. Whereas white women also typically try to straighten the hell out of their hair. They just didn't need as many chemicals to do it as black women typically did. But that's always kind of been there. And so I appreciate that there's been like a swing towards actually a understanding how to take care of hair like that and appreciating it and actually seeing its natural beauty as opposed to trying to squash the life out of it with different chemicals and heat and things like that. But the idea that it's always, you know, there's good hair and bad hair has always kind of like permeated, um, I think, the Black experience, honestly, from a very young age, because we typically get compared to white people and they have the good, straight, manageable hair. You know, they have the their own big aisle of hair care products at the grocery store and not the tiny little aisle of like random creams and ultra sheens and things like that that were sort of tucked away that black people have had for so long. And that's what you really wanted to aspire to, right? Was L'Oreal commercials as opposed to like ultra sheen commercials or the relaxer commercials that you could find. Yeah. And I, I think that there was also like there's they mentioned it a little bit in the movie but honestly not enough for considering how important it is there's so much riding on societal expectations outside of even your own uh to the point where black natural hair is considered unprofessional there was a part of the um documentary talking about this but they they spent maybe 5 minutes on it yeah it was the one with the high school girls that were just uh graduating yep and um and i think that's actually a uh, one of the the current big frontiers, there's a lot of folks passing variants of the Crown Act, uh, which is legislation that is put in place to prevent workplaces from inappropriately policing natural black hair. Because in many industries, in many different places, you're just like a lot of the hairstyles that are not allowed are explicitly, you know, hairstyle hairstyles that are healthy for black hair. And 
it's those kind of signals, I think, that in addition to the the normal, you know, whiteness as desirability politics that exist that kept people from really exploring natural hair um, more often. I, I remember e- even as, even as a boy, my father, you know, yelling at me because my Afro was unprofessional and I was going to go to work like that. And I had to like pull out the, the the Polaroids of my parents who were much cooler than me in their youth. And my dad has a massive <laughs> Afro that like it goes to his shoulders and I'm going like, you want to tell me, you know, as a person who wore an Afro shaped like the sun, uh, that, that my Afro was unprofessional and I can't wear it to work. But I, I very much, you know, got that kind of feedback, um, in early jobs as a teenager. I remember those same conversations as a teen. I had an Afro. I was lucky that I never had it impact my job, any of the hairstyles that I've had over the years, but I had a very similar argument with my mom about, my afro she threatened to cut i had dreads for a long time i know this is an audio podcast but any of you who happen to see me i had dreads for over a decade and she threatened to cut my dreads off all of the time and the primary reason that i started growing dreads is i had a huge afro in high school and i went to the family barber the guy i had always gotten my hair cut from he was super cool i told him to line me up And apparently my mom had told him on the side that he should cut my Afro to half of the size, which he did. So I uh, promptly shaved my head the next day. Uh, And then from that point forward, I decided that if I were going to grow my hair out again, it would be in dreads. And that was the beginning of my 10 year long dread history. That's amazing. Revenge dreads. You had dreads the first time I met you. And I remember when you actually showed up to work after that, you had your dreads were gone. And I was a little disappointed. Not going to lie. You had pretty amazing dreads. I still have them, so. <laughs> Are they framed or what? They're just in the basement. I need to put them in like a airtight container, but yeah. Have you considered them. taking them to different hair stores and selling them to see if anyone else wants to buy and wear your dreads? I mean, depending on the price, I might have to do that based on this. what this movie said. I'll just pass them off. They won't know the difference. <laughs> oh, man. All of these stories just reminds me of... Uh, as a little kid, I, I never, I, even as a little kid, just as a kid, I hated brushing my hair. It just reminds me of all the times my mom actually chased me around the house with a hairbrush to brush my hair. I never, I didn't even have long hair because my mom eventually gave up. And every other Saturday, I was at the barbershop in the chair getting my, uh, getting, what was it? It was called Ball Fate. Every Saturday. I was like, every other Saturday. And then when I wasn't going to a barbershop, I remember the music playing in the morning and it was cleaning day. And that was my childhood on (laughs) Saturday morning. (laughs) No cartoons. It was always Saturdays too, right? That you had to get your hair done because Sunday you had church. So you had Mm -hmm. to be cleaned up by then. And and a whole Saturday can go sitting in the, just like waiting for either, either you're sitting in the chair or you're, or you're like me, you're waiting for. Uh, your mom or auntie or grandma or sister to be out the chair. And since a bunch of them share a hairdresser, it's a 10 hour day. You could, I, I read through all, I remember reading through the entire Silmarillion in like one summer worth of hair salon uh, waiting periods. That is a very long book. I, I think that uh, one thing that the documentary did do well was talk about how much money is in black hair care. Because black people spend to take care of themselves and their hair. 
even men, although they weren't the focus of the documentary, when I started caring about my hair more more intensely as a teenager, I was regularly buying crap tons of pomade. I was buying wave caps in every different color to match every different outfit because that is how Detroiters do. We have to be extra like that. But, you know, I had multiple I had multiple different combs. I had Afro picks for almost every different situation. I joked that I had like an Afro pick for peace with the peace sign in it. And then Afro pick for war. They just had like the a, a B in the middle and then like the closed fist, uh, the, the closed black power fist. Like you, you spend a tremendous amount of time like just brushing your hair, trying to make your hair look wavy. And that was a, that's a thing that I think is a little underexplored is that it wasn't just enough for my hair to be like naturally textured. No, it was pomade and grease to the point where like you're trying to look like Sammy Davis Jr. Almost um, if you could. If you could brush like like your arm, like, I remember my arms cramping from trying to brush my hair 300 times at night. And that is, I think, a relatively unique experience. <laughs> like I know lots of black people, people who've gone through those kind of things around their hair. You know, they've saved up money and worked extra jobs for weaves, my family. But I don't know a lot of white colleagues who like have, re- like, you know, like had that real intensity over, you know, perfecting their hair. Yeah, and actually, this movie made me miss the um, miss is probably not the right word, but um, one thing I did want to see more of in this movie is the Black Beauty Hair and Beauty Supply Store. I can't remember who it was that said it earlier. I think it was Lauren that mentioned the you know the grocery store or the drugstore aisle where it's just like all the typical like uh, haircut products that are typically marketed to white people. Like you have that whole aisle there. There's not really much for black people. Well, we go to the uh, beauty supply store and you just like in a documentary, there's like weave everywhere. There's like a couple aisles dedicated to like uh, do rags, a couple aisles. You know, there might be Murray's uh, wave wave cream there, which actually I have two cans of in my bathroom the, right the, now. Is it the orange tin or the gold tin? It was the orange tin and one tin was like almost a lifetime supply like it lasted for so long yeah i have a gold tin of sporting waves that um was with me when i was in aria bursley so coming up on uh ooh, uh 13 years that pomade is still here i don't think it like i, I think it's just magically replenishing yeah i found one in a bag recently from when my mom i was 12 years old when i remember my and i remember my mom buying me this stuff like Murray's last forever, but I did miss that part of the documentary where it was where it was really focusing on what was in that black beauty supply store. I remember as a kid going in there and there's like wigs. I remember if you wanted to have a weave for cheaper than buying it from the uh, from the hairstylist, you had to go to the black beauty supply store, or if you wanted something special, you had to go to the black beauty supply store buy it from there and then bring it to the hair stylist so that she could put it B- in. BYOW, bring your own weave. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and yeah, there's, there is this, there's a huge business just selling weave on its own, like without doing those things to the point where I, I, I went down a rabbit hole last summer when I found out that there was a, a woman who was running a business um, putting vending machines with weave in them in, in malls in Atlanta and in the Southeast. And I immediately was checking going like, is she trying to franchise in Detroit? 
because this would make a lot of money. And it had like, you know, there were pre-selected bundles. You could, you know, it's like 200 bucks. You could pick up a bundle, 300 something for like, you know, a small bundle of Remy, Remy's type of hair. And also had it so when she made custom weaves or custom weaves for people, she could put, put it in a special drop box in the vending machine, which instantly made it more valuable than even like those Best Buy vending machines in the, in the airport. <laughs> I think that had more viable product than any vending machine I've ever seen. And I, I think that there, like, there is so much that goes around the ecosystem of, of those products that, yeah, I, I really wish that the documentary would have dove into. I'm curious about one thing from the movie. I, I, I know Laura mentioned that she got her first relaxer, um, you say like nine? Nine years old. James or Andre, have you ever had your hair relaxed? Nope. Nope. I never even thought about it, to be honest, um, until this movie. I have. It was not on purpose. <laughs> How did you, you... You have to pull a lot of work into getting your hair relaxed. How trying, is it not on Trying purpose? to go to a hair place in Ann Arbor, trying to find something when I first got here. And so, oh, yeah, you know, like, well, I, you know, I had, like... I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I like to have my hair texture be a little a little nicer. And I expect them to just put some, some, some kind of, like, you know, cream or gel in and... Nope, the burning, the burning. Did they warn you? No. Did they ask you if you've been relaxed before? No. What kind of crazy people did you let touch your yeah. hair? This just reminds me of that salt and pepper story from the movie. Yes. Um, oh, man. It, yeah. it, it, it's like, I, I'm lucky that I didn't burn because I immediately was like, please stop whatever you're doing, whatever this is. It's like, oh, it's just a little relaxer. But like, it was really that they didn't know how to cut uh nappy hair they didn't know how to style nappy hair when it was longer and so they literally were just like well the first thing i would do would be to make it wider and <laughs> relax it um <laughs> and like yeah that was a that was a horrible decision i had a coupon it was a bad move i was 18 lots of mistakes were made from that point on i i used to catch the bus the greyhound to detroit which took three hours somehow even though it's only like 45 minutes away and then catch the bus a whole hour from downtown back to my neighborhood to go to my old barber for a $10 haircut. But we're going back to salt and pepper, uh, salt and pepper, uh, who had, had the, they were discussing their relaxers and the dangers and the burns finding out the, her, her signature asymmetric hairdo, which was really rad actually <laughs> was mm-hmm. the result of chemical burns from relaxer was kind of, insane all of that like resonated with that so much thankfully i've never had to cut my hair off because of it but like burning sensations when you're a young black kid are very much a thing because if it's not chemical relaxer it's a hot comb or yep. it's you know being with curlers underneath the dryer something like so you're gonna get burned like your head's gonna get mm-hmm. burned a couple of times but i do agree that like this movie spent way too much time focused on relaxer in particular versus all the other black hair care that exists but even when it was talking about relaxers, it didn't really talk about the process of getting your hair relaxed, which is a whole thing. Like, it's a whole ritual. And once you've begun doing it, like, they sort of mentioned how it's your, like, hair crack because you have to keep doing it. Basically, you can't get away from it. That's super true. And you have to do it, like, every six weeks because your hair starts to grow out and the relaxer starts to fade. And then you need to touch up your roots and start over again. So, like, as a young kid, every six to eight weeks, my mom would basically block the day. So I can get my hair relaxed. And at that point, my hair is not as manageable as it was supposed to be in the beginning. That's why we're being relaxed. So that requires like hours of combing it out, which when you have 
young black hair is like basically Diana Ross in concert, right? Like that's essentially what you're getting. I had very thick hair and I was also extremely tender headed, which is what you call a person. Please explain tender headed for yeah. please. A tender headed person, if you try to comb their hair, will cry and scream in the chair, basically, because their head is so sensitive and it requires so much kind of like additional effort to pull the brush through their hair. There's just no way to do it comfortably, right? So tender-headed people are common. We're everywhere. It's totally okay. But it is. it does make doing your hair a whole thing. So there would be like an hour of combing out my hair and then carefully applying the multiple layers of like relaxing creams that you have because this is like a seven-step process to relax your hair. And it, it comes down to like having it coated with this big relaxer base and then letting it set, and then washing it out, and then adding another layer in, and then letting that sit, and then washing that out. And it's got to be very carefully timed, because if it's on your head for more than 15 minutes, almost exactly, you were going to burn, and you were going to feel it. And that's what my mom would tell us. Let me know when it starts to burn so we can wash it out. And that was essentially the timer, because it would almost always be <laughs> exactly 15 minutes. And you had to be careful not to hit the sides of your oh, face yeah. or your ears. And if they covered that when they were cutting your hair, they'd have to wipe it off to make sure that you didn't get chemical burns on your skin because this was just a normal part of what you did as a 10-year-old girl. Like, go through this effort to get your hair relaxed. And then you'd eventually get everything washed out with one of those long hose attachments you'd attach to the sink so that, you know, your mom would have some dexterity with it. And then you'd have to get your hair blow-dried with a comb attachment that was thick enough to get through your hair but not too thin to break. Basically a try And that was a whole other hour over the chair. Yeah, it's like a whole thing. Um, every section, section by section, till all of your hair is dry. This is like a four-hour process just to relax your hair, depending on how much hair you have. Like, over time, it's gotten better. I think the last time I relaxed my hair was probably like five years ago. And at that time, it was fairly quick and easy. But it was still a seven-step process. I was just really good at it because I'd been doing it for 30 years. And I think that that's some of the one of the things that I wish was focused on more was like just the sheer ingenuity involved in so much of the things there. One of the framing devices of the movie is uh, Chris Rock going to the the Bronner Brothers hair show in Atlanta where they have a big competitive spectacle of uh, like a competitive hair cutting competition that is absolutely bizarre and is basically like a a mashup of like three different reality shows. And as soon as we're done with this, I'm searching YouTube to see if I can find copies of those uh, older exhibitions, because <laughs> I feel like in the same way that like folks have started watching like break dance competitions or like the Westminster dog show or magic or, or, or magic shows, all of those elements were there <laughs> just all in one. <laughs> And it was incredible. But there's a lot of ingenuity that comes in, like, the in the styling, the creation and care of even, like, you know, the even, like, these more westernized, relaxed black hairstyles. The way that weaves are done is, like, geometric magic, almost. Like, it's, it's really cool. Mm -hmm. Like, and I, I don't think there's enough focus on just how cool those things are. And if this movie had been made in 2020, it would have talked about the number of men who are getting hair units, there is a number of really good YouTube videos of folks showing men spending that same amount of money. That's that those thousands of dollars, one thousand, three thousand, five thousand dollars on hair units to 
to restore their hairlines. And it is just as intensive a process. See, it's not just the hairlines, too. It's uh, also to get like the big uh, flat top uh, haircuts when those are coming back in the style, the, uh, the box, you know, the box fades and the flat top haircuts as well. I think one of the mo- most famous videos I know of about that was like a wall and out sketch where someone acted, well, not even accidentally, he snatched a guy's. Uh, uh, hair piece off, and then and it was just a bunch of comedians were uh cracking jokes about it. But yeah, no. <laughs> anyway, continue, James. I was just gonna ask if any of y'all have gotten extensions or weaves, because uh, I did once in high school, and I'm curious if anyone else did. No, I never have. I always had a lot of very long, thick hair, so there was no point in it whatsoever. But I'm curious to hear about what your experience was like, because I don't know very many guys have gotten like extensions or weaves put in. I mean, it wasn't bad. I, I, this was, I guess I had my Afro at the time and I was getting cornrows put in and they weren't quite long enough. Like my hair wasn't, my, my hair grows, doesn't grow in the back particularly long. So it didn't quite go long enough in the back as it should have. And so I got some extensions put in for that. And like it was, a process, but it wasn't bad. And and I did have the experience that they mentioned in the movie where everyone was like, oh, man, your hair is like so much longer, like all of a sudden. And like no one really thought anything about it. Amazing. <laughs> uh, so that was pretty cool. But what, what was interesting is that then no one really questioned it. But then when I grew my dreads, which were all mine, I constantly got questions about whether or not my dreads were my own hair. And I don't really know what the difference was, but. It, that was a pretty normal thing to hear. That's weird. That's like, I would definitely never question whether, I mean, do people wear fake dreads? Is that a thing that people do? Yes. Because I don't feel like, I, I feel that's, I'm totally okay with people having weaves and extensions. I draw the light at fake dreads, I feel like. Like, you didn't earn that cred. No, 100%. That's a thing. I, I was going to say, like, I haven't seen it. And then I remembered that I saw once one of those, like, red, black, and green Rasta caps that had a set of fake dreads like mm-hmm. a fake dread ponytail weaved into the back which is next level i feel some kind of way about that it's stolen st- stolen rasta valor so another long hair story is when i decided to finally cut my dreads what i was originally going to do was to attach them to a rasta hat like that and wear that for a while and then just take it off one day and see and see what people thought but it, it never came to that you still have them in the basement it could come to that it, it, it could happen gotta work with one of the fiber artists in the office and I, we someone can make that happen for sure you may be this whole pandemic thus far without actually just breaking down and doing that at some point huh i'm just excited for when we share this to to our uh with our coworkers <laughs> and Someone listens back to this and immediately goes on a, a photo shopping spree. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for James. Mm-hmm. But I want to rate us in a little bit. Uh, we're talking about the hair extensions and stuff. Uh, one thing that this uh, doc did do was go into the story behind some of those uh, hair extensions, particularly looking at the human hair extensions from India. And although it was kind of a goofy way that that uh, segment was taken care of to start. It did go into some of how this temple in India was selling the hair that people were sacrificing for their different uh, religious ceremonies and things like that. 
And so I just wanted to kind of just generally throw that topic out there and just have you guys kind of talk a little bit about kind of how do you guys feel about that hair being essentially sourced for free and sold for profit. And, you know, in the documentary, they talk about it being the equivalent to gold there. One of the things I generally like about this documentary is the look at the enterprise of black hair. Like there's a lot of different parts to that. And we've talked about some of them already. I found this very fascinating. I mean, I I knew that a lot of the hair people bought came from India. I assumed people were selling it. So like, I know there's a, a lot to this, but it, it feels really weird to me as an American who buys things with money that's made all over the world, that people are donating their hair and the temple is making a likely gargantuan profit off of it. Like that seems really icky to me and I'm not quite sure exactly why, but something about it just seems strange. I just want to clarify. It, they, it was uh, in the documentary. It was uh, particularly said sacrificing, not donating. Oh. Um, Cause it was a part of that, uh, ceremony i forget the name of it off the top of my head tonsure t-o-n-s-u-r-e yeah shaving part of your head off yeah it was a part of tonsure so but yeah i just want to just make that quick uh specification yeah i found that whole bit like really interesting that's one of the many there are a lot of threads throughout this documentary that i was like oh that's really interesting i'd love to know more about that and then he would move on to something else which i found really frustrating but like that piece felt like we could have gone even deeper, particularly the parts where, you know, they mentioned a million people in India a year go through this process of tantra where they're they're essentially like sacrificing what is considered very valuable. And also, I think they described it as vanity. Hair is considered vanity, essentially, in India. And on occasion, you may want to really dedicate yourself to God, in which case you might shave your hair off, essentially, as a sacrifice to God. I'm like that by itself is a really interesting piece. I f- it was very odd exactly. I wasn't entirely sure whether people who were doing this knew where their hair was going and were fine with it or why it does feel really kind of skeevy to, to take something that someone has essentially sacrificed in a religious ceremony and then sell it to other people halfway around the world. The other piece was, you know, when he was talking to one of the people involved in this industry in India, you know, they were discussing that, you know, it, Sometimes you might come by hair by other means. Like maybe a woman might be sleeping and someone might come in and cut her hair off. <laughs> like, well, that's extremely concerning. And I want to dive into that a little bit more. How often does that, do we think that happens? Like they mentioned it's underreported because it's not a crime people care about. But this is, that's essentially assault on an innocent sleeping woman just so that we can have her hair. Like this seems like a huge problem. We should really address the ways in which people are being made victims of this so that you can sell hair halfway around the world. And then there was a scene where, you know, one of the hair sellers goes, you know, back to the US, he's got a suitcase essentially full of hair pieces that he's selling. And everything about those that scene was creepy. Like mm-hmm. everyone involved there. in that entire trade mm-hmm. from like getting the hair in India to like selling it to, to customers in the US, all sorts of skeeviness across the board. I did not like an entire section of the film. It just made me feel like bad i don't even buy weaves or extensions or any of this stuff and somehow i feel bad by like association i feel like not a there was not a single one of those purchases was legal i i don't think there was a bit of paperwork anywhere <laughs> it was just a man in a suitcase heading over hair in exchange for giant stacks of money and then moving on to like the next affluent neighborhood the whole thing was just really 
Like it, it, it was, it did have just a really weird vibe. And that's not just because the hairstylist in Beverly Hills buying it looked like, um, a movie villain, <laughs> uh, with his like pinstripe, uh, mafia suit and his, his well permed hair. So say, I really want to know if he was wearing a weave or not. Like, I was wondering if they would discuss that. It was silky. I mean, like, it was. Maybe he was getting high off his own supply a, a bit. <laughs> Sorry. Speaking about, like, there are different parts of this movie that I wish were extended. I kind of wish this movie was like a miniseries. Yes. Because, like, basically every, like, part of it could have been like an hour long episode or something that, that kind of d- dive deeper into the industry and the culture around whatever topic they were talking about. Really, the only thing that I think could have probably had less time was the hair show itself. Like the merchandise component of it, I was really interesting talking to people who are like buying and selling and who were talking about the fact that like, there's not a lot of black people in the black hair care industry, which I think we'd mentioned earlier. But everything about the competition felt weirdly out of place and took way too long in an hour and a half long documentary. Agreed. Like, that's part of the reason I don't really know what this movie is supposed to be about, what this documentary is about, because it's not really about what's considered good hair and why. It's not about black women and their hair, not really. It's mostly about this competition with like these little vignettes about how much black people spend on hair care or how annoying it is that black women spend a lot on hair care or the ways in which black or Indian women are maybe being victimized by having their hair stolen and sold. But there's so much, like most of this film, which is supposed to be about black women in the relationship with hair is spent on men. First of all, yes. Uh, either talking about black women or um, selling things to black women or going through this weird pageant that was almost like watching something on, I don't know, the History Channel or Bravo or something. Just the level of pageantry was just super odd. I had no idea this existed. I think I was better off not knowing, honestly. <laughs> and it was weird and not even really about hair most of the time, the pageant part of the Because like, you can't cut hair in 15 minutes, let alone upside down, or 15 minutes in an aquarium or on a palanquin all of those are things that happen by the way um those those are all extremely specific examples who watch you too yeah but yeah I, I agree and i think that there's i think you hit on something really important which is that there's a lot of male gaze in this for a movie that's ostensibly ostensibly about you know black women and their their hair experience so much of these discussions are based around desirability around what men are allowed to do with black women's hair about like He asked more people whether, you know, they were allowed to touch a black woman's hair or if they would financially support a black woman spending that much money on their weave. Because those are the questions that Chris was interested in. It's it's just a very, a very masculine viewpoint. There really wasn't a lot of focus on the reasons that women wanted to have this hair were entirely secondary to Chris Rock. Like he, he, he was mostly coming at this as a help me understand how the, how to scold my daughters basically um and that kind of shown through in a few different places yeah and it led to some very probably the most uncomfortable parts of the of the whole movie of the whole doc you know it was his interviews with uh male celebrities male celebrities talking about women's hair personally those parts made me super uncomfortable mm-hmm. and then there was the whole like 15, uh, like 15 minute segment where he's just like, how does this affect intimacy? 
Yeah, that part went off the rails for me when they started talking about how, well, you can't touch, one, they spent way too much time talking about how you can't touch a black woman's hair. And I just want to say that highly varies based on black women. One, just don't randomly touch people's hair, first of all. Like, that doesn't need to be a thing that people randomly do. And if this is a person that you know and are intimate with, maybe explore what their boundaries are. Because white women don't always want you touching their hair either. Some people spend a lot of time on their hair and they may not want you touching it. Other people don't really care. Let's not paint a broad brush that all black women are somehow super anal about their hair being touched because not all of us are. But it went from essentially that into, well, one of the reasons why black men date white women is because you can touch their hair and there's so much less high maintenance. And it became one of those opportunities where, where a black man is essentially talking about how white women are better. And it was one of the moments throughout that that kept occurring in this documentary where I wanted better from Chris Rock mm-hmm. around black women. Like he's essentially getting, he's gotten a lot of accolades off this film and he's predicating the entire documentary that he's going to explore black women and the relationship to hair and what that means. But most of the film he spends actually perpetuating the same stereotypes that harm black women all the time. Right. So like leading into that piece about it being expensive and women spend more money on their hair and they do paying their bills and, you know, you can't touch their hair. And that's why no one wants to be intimate with them and why, you know, black men would rather date other kinds of women instead. Or when he had that interview with the high school girls and essentially the only girl with natural hair, he essentially has all the other girls talk about how they don't find that professional. And they wouldn't hire her if she was going in for a job. And she's the only one who doesn't get to speak in that interview. Yep. Like he throws her, basically hangs her out to dry. I'm convinced she didn't speak because when she did speak, they were like, we can't use this footage. <laughs> she must oh, no. have spoke them no, out. No, 100%, 100%. I felt so bad for her because her hair looked great. So cute. Yeah. 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 She was adorable. And why would you make her feel that way for someone who, you know, wraps the movie up by saying, oh, the important thing is what's, you know, in your head, not on your head. He's full of shit, frankly, because he spends the entire film backing up all the things that led to his three-year-old daughter saying, why don't I have good hair? And that was the things that really annoyed me in those kinds of conversations. Like, and that was most of it. Also, most of the women he had coming in giving in-depth interviews were attractive black celebrities who all fit a certain kind of profile, were mostly light-skinned, and had either weaves or relaxed hair. He had one woman who had textured hair. She's also very light-skinned. There are no dark-skinned women interviewed in this. Most of the interviewees don't have natural hair. He didn't make any real effort to seek out women that had natural hair at that point. So he's providing a skewed like image of black women who only fit one kind of person and not just exploring the idea of black hair, generally speaking. But then considers it somehow that he's an authority on what this space looks like. This is obviously why this movie bothered me a lot. But there are a number of things this movie should have talked about, which could have included the biology of black hair. What makes our hair different? Why is it like that? Um, how do black Americans approach their hair versus Caribbean blacks or black Latinos or Africans? What are the different types of hair? Because not all black hair is the same. You know, we have every range from like 2A to 4C. And what does that mean for your black hair care? What are the cultural contexts besides what's considered good hair and bad hair? And how has that changed over time? Why do black women feel pressured to be made up all the time and to spend a lot of money on their hair? What about black men and their hair? And I mean, let's not pretend like black men don't spend money on their hair. The Jerry Curl era was not that long ago. So <laughs> we know that some will go to extreme, uh, you know, extreme efforts to make their hair look a certain way. The appropriation of black hairstyles. 
could have been touched on, and it wasn't. The natural hair movement wasn't. Black salons is an economic force. You know, we talk about all the money that folks spend in. What about all those neighborhoods that have black salons and barbershops that are propping up that neighborhood? None of those things are really actually addressed here, but could have been. If we spend a little bit more time on the documentary and a little less time on the weird hair pageant contest. That's my rant. Thank you for attending this TED Talk. Appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, like, I think you're right. I think that there's like there's there's so much there that could have been done to educate that wasn't. But I don't think he decided education was the goal of this documentary. But I keep coming back to all of the all the aspects that he didn't cover. Really, they they they, they wouldn't grade on me as much if it wasn't so much of the like based on grievance if like i mentioned earlier like the male gay stuff but so much of this seems like things that chris rock has been told by black women that he didn't agree with and now he wants backup for we're like all these questions she said i can't touch her hair why is that here i'm holding a microphone up to you but even even with all of those bits and and you know and they give so little time to the to the business side but also to the cultural impact I would have also liked to see the regional impacts of black hair because there's lots of places outside of L.A. and Atlanta where black hair culture is different. Like black hair culture in Detroit is different than it is in New York, is different than it is in Texas for sure. And all that is interesting. And like we we do actually contain multitudes, believe it or not. And it would have been nice to see some of that displayed instead of the, I guess, stunts, stunt uh like stunt hair care. I don't know how to, what to call that contest because mm-hmm. it certainly wasn't like a salon experience. Another thing I would have loved to, to see covered is more about good, healthy ways to maintain black hair. They, they talk a lot about sort of the things that Chris feels like are things you shouldn't do with black hair or things that are too expensive or there, there's lots of talks about the different chemicals, but there's no talk about like, Actually, what would you do if you wanted hair to be healthy? Like, let's take a look and see, like, here's some good examples of things that we could do. And and this that's one of the areas that I feel like I could learn a lot from because, like, I'm hoping to be a parent at some point and I don't really know anything about dealing with black women's hair. So if I do have girls, I'm going to need to find resources. And I just think that could have been an interesting topic to sort of make it more uplifting than the direction they ended up going in. And uh, one thing that I, I do want to add, because we talked about the a number of the hair care companies that serve serve black communities being white-owned and what that means. One of the things that it, it didn't happen in time for this documentary, but in recent years, I know Lauren mentioned the, the, the curly hair revolution. I know the Diva Curl stuff got really hardcore and they're facing backlash because of their things, but for those of you who are using like a bunch of natural hair care products, I found a ton of the stuff that I've used over the years has changed formulas in the past like four or five years. And in almost every case, the change in ownership of the company ends up with a change in formula that makes it more generic. And I've seen more white folks browsing black hair care aisles looking for ways to healthily maintain curls now that that's in vogue. And it's really just weird to like to to go from I can't find anything for my hair at all to, oh, 
I have a small little end cap at CVS to now that end cap is all advertising pictures of, of white women using Shea Moisture or Carol's Daughter or all of the other, um, you know, black hair care standbys. It's really jarring. And I think that that, like, I would have loved to see, well, I would love to see a follow up uh, of this kind of discussion, but talking about how some of the, the, some of the bi-directional change is happening in terms of hair care and expertise. Yeah. I feel that so hard because I've definitely experienced that issue of, I mean, before, before the last five or 10 years or so where curly hair started becoming more in vogue, no matter what ethnicity you were, it was harder to find really good products, but you always had a few that you could find in the reliable places like Sally's Beauty Supply. Or if you had a store that had, you know, a grocery store that had a good black health hair care aisle. But they would always basically be the same. They were often smaller and um, often run by and owned by black folks who created things for their own needs and eventually monetized that. But every time those get big, and particularly in the last five years, they get bought up by large brands. And then because the formula is really great for black hair, which needs typically far more moisture and more fat than other kinds of hair, like it might weigh down a white person's hair. It's not really the right kind of like chemical com composition for their particular hair texture. So they start to make it more palatable to white you know, customers because there's so many more of them and that way they can start marketing to them. And then it's no longer useful for you and you have to move on to the next product and keep going over again. Like there are whole communities online of black women who are basically like keeping track of whether or not a company has been sold and whether or not its formula has changed and given recommendations. Like it's led to this whole cottage industry of like what products do you use now? Yep, I have a spreadsheet. Like it's it's a thing. Yeah, and it means you have to be constantly searching for new products. So like someone made a comment in this documentary about like how many how black women have like so many different products they're all constantly testing. Like, well, this is why something right. always like moves on. And this is I think part of the appropriation conversation overall too, because I'm actually really glad that more and more women are embracing and men are embracing like their natural curlish curly hair and finding products that help support that. I don't know that there's really been the proper recognition that most of that comes out of the efforts of black and mixed folks trying to find products that work for their hair. And as it becomes more popular, white curls will be seen at some point as totally fine and black curls will still not be for whatever reason. Right. And like, that's also not, not fair either to some extent. Just from like listening to the discussion for the last few minutes, it seems like everyone is pretty in accordance with the idea that we need more, whether that's a docuseries or like a sequel, like we need a bigger, like deep dive, deeper dive into black hair care, not just for us as black people, but for, you know, the informed people outside of our community. But on that note, I don't really want to speak for you guys uh, on that. That's just my impression from the uh, discussion that we were all just having. So I just want to grab final thoughts on the on the movie just from everyone. Uh, I'll start. I still like this movie and I approach documentaries in a weird way. So like I approach them as really informative. So like I look for the informative parts of the movie and I really like the parts of this movie that are super informative. And I just kind of dislike the parts that are pageantry for uh, lack of a better word um so i would recommend people check this out but just know that there's a lot more of this conversation and a lot different ways that you can look at it and a lot has changed in the 11 years since this movie has been made so 
I think this is just, if you're interested in this topic, this is just one small piece of this topic. Uh, and there's a lot of different directions you could go. Yep. I'll, I'll follow that up and say that I do think people should go watch this. I think it's a good launching point if you're not familiar with black hair in general, casual misogyny, uh, notwithstanding. Although that seems to be an issue with like half the movies we watch with me. But anyway, <laughs> I think that the, what, one of the things you can do though is that the ability to share this kind of information has been democratized. YouTube has tons and tons of videos of black women, you know, talking about their hair care journeys, you know, talking about the difference in the products, talking about hair types. Uh, Lauren mentioned like, you know, 2A hair, uh, 4B hair, 4C hair. I didn't have any of that vocabulary growing up. And those kinds of things are interesting and useful because they actually help you take better care of yourself. And I think that so much of the natural hair uh, journey that black women and some black men have been going on in addition to the self-esteem and the spending a little less time actively burning yourself with chemicals or, you know, being twisted into submission uh, through by a braider, um, like, you know, all those things are secondary, I think, to better understanding your body and, and how to take care of it. And that's an important part, not just for our health, but also for our culture. And seeing it evolve has been actually one of the what feels like one of the more liberating things in the the past decade has been seeing people free to wear their hair as it naturally grows in a, a number of different creative ways that black people come up with and watching my young cousins, you know, like the, the, the young women wearing a natural hair longer, you know, exploring more styles with braids or being free to try out weaves or wigs or other things or hair coloring and seeing the boys have something other than, the exactly 2.5 hairstyles we were we had uh, growing up, which is like you have a ball fade, a Caesar, or an Afro, and it, it, and one of those basically evolves through each of those other steps, like Pokemon. So seeing all the freedom of expression in all the different types of black hair in 2020 has been really cool. So this movie did make me appreciate that a lot more. I will plus one all that. I will say for me one of the best parts about this film was actually the interviews with Maya Angelou, who is way too good to be in this documentary, for one thing, and was also a national treasure. But what I found particularly interesting about her interview was just one, Maya Angelou was horribly charismatic. But also, at some point, Chris asked her, when did you get your first relaxer? And she said, at age 70. And he said, you went your whole life without having a hair relaxer? She said, well, no, I'm still alive. That's silly. But I loved that because it was one of the things that this didn't quite explore that I think we could have is sort of the generational changes and how we think about black hair. But also that Maya Angelou had all sorts of power and grace and dignity and presence. And no one would ever dare look at Miss Angelou and say, you're not professional. But she went up until she was 70 years old without ever relaxing her hair. And I think like, that's amazing. I think like we tend to we tend to place so much emphasis in some ways on things that don't really matter, like whether or not your your hair is an afro or if it's straight and long or whatever, that we forget all the other things that make you powerful, essentially. And for me, like she sort of like represents all of those things. We actually could have talked about literally anything. If you have you have this Maya in a room and the thing you ask her is when did you first get your hair relaxed? Like that feels like a waste of a conversation 
I mean, like, come on. <laughs> but I do think that's like what I was hoping to see more of throughout the documentary that actually this is a waste of conversation. All these people that were featured are doing like their best. They're doing interesting things for their community, for themselves. Like they're just trying to do something different and new and feel good. And we should focus more on like them as people and not on whether or not they've chosen to do certain things to their hair. Yeah, I know for me, the thing that I like most about this documentary is that just like it had a good humor about itself, even despite its flaws with the male gaze, it was still a very funny movie. Like Chris Rock makes a f- bunch of great jokes throughout, whether it's with the editing of the movie or it's just him uh, dropping a one liner like into a conversation that like goes over the other person's head. That's terrific. But that said, as everyone uh, noted in the latter half of this podcast, like it, it kind of just doesn't really go past the introductory in- information for the topic. And if you want to know more, definitely like start searching on Reddit, on YouTube, and try to you know seek out that information because this is not going to be the cure all for that. And on that note. I uh, do want to say if you are interested, if you got to this point and you still haven't seen this movie, you can go see it on uh, YouTube. It is free with ads on YouTube. Uh, it is available on Amazon Prime for rental at the time of recording of this podcast. And next time, I do believe we're going to be looking at the classic Carmen Jones, which is available on Amazon Prime. I know for rental or purchase. I'm not quite certain if it's available for free via the service, but I'm pretty sure that it's available for rental or purchase on Amazon Prime. This has been the Black Movie Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Black Movie Podcast. Our show is edited by Mike Knight. Our theme song is by Chris Negro Justice Brown, and our logo was created by Savannah Alexander. Even if you never heard of me, just know I murder beasts. Leave all these kids with third degrees. Evidence is empirically laid out in front for you to see. I found the Trinity, good people, weed, and memories. These are the only things I need.